I have one verse to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And then we'll look at Canon's third and uh, fourth head of doctrine, articles 4 through 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and it says this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And then the canons of Dort, the third and fourth head of doctrine, articles 4 through 6. Article 4 deals with the inadequacy of the light of nature. And it says this, There is, to be sure, a certain light of nature remaining in man after the fall, by virtue of which he retains some notions about God, natural things, and the difference between what is moral and immoral, and demonstrates a certain eagerness for virtue and for good outward behavior. But this light of nature is far from enabling man to come to saving knowledge of God and conversion to him, so far, in fact, that man does not use it rightly, even in matters of nature and society. Instead, in various ways, he completely distorts this light and whatever its precise character and suppresses it in unrighteousness. In doing so, he renders himself without excuse before God. Article 5, dealing with the inadequacy of the law. In this respect, what is the true what is true of the light of nature is also true of the Ten Commandments given by God through Moses specifically to the Jews. For man cannot claim saving grace through the Decalogue, because although it does expose the magnitude of his sin and increasingly convict him of his guilt, yet it does not offer a remedy or escape or enable him to escape from his misery, and indeed weakened as it is by the flesh, leaves the offender with under the curse. Then Article 6, the saving power of the gospel. What therefore neither the light of nature nor the law can do, God accomplishes by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of the ministry of reconciliation. This is the gospel about the Messiah, through which it has pleased God to save believers in the Old and New Testament. That is the word and the teaching of God's word. And may he bless our time in his word today. How does God call the elect? Well, beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know the extent and consequences of your sins. That was total inability. That was article 1 and 2 of the third and fourth head of doctrine of the canons of Dort. And because you are totally unable to do what you should, you see the need for help. You need to be pulled. Now I'll illustrate to the last time I was here in the evening about a relative who wanted to eat his food in the dark. So he didn't see the roaches and what the roaches left in his food. Thing is, he was probably semi-drunk. And someone had to pull that away from him because he was really going to eat it.
what a horrible mistake he was making with all the diseases. Roaches leave a whole lot more diseases than rats do. But he didn't think about that. But let's give it a little bit more of a, a personal take, something you might be more familiar with. Quicksand. If someone is in quicksand and he feels he has some movement, and he said, I don't need help. I will just move and move until I get out. You know what will happen. That person would likely be sucked in and die. The only way to be saved is to have someone pull you out. Now, there's a limited situation. There are people who might find a way of scrambling out. But generally, you sink and you die unless someone pulls you out. And that's the same with the one who is in sin, in the mire of sin. The psalmist described it this way. I was in the miry clay and he lifted me up and established me on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. That's the subject today. How does this happen? Well, we'll learn first the light of nature cannot call us, cannot pull us. The law of God cannot call us or pull us. It is the Lord who calls. So easy way to remember the light can't do it, the law can't do it, the Lord only he can do it. And our goals are that you will love your covenant, covenant keeper, that you would hold on to your covenant keeper, and you will serve your, common, uh, your, your covenant keeper because he graciously sent his Holy Spirit to pull you out of the mud and muck into which you were sinking. The light of nature cannot call. What is the light of nature? Well, the light of nature is glimmerings, like little lights or little sparks. Little sparks of who God is and glimmerings of the wonder of God's creation and glimmerings of what God expects people to do. And it's true if you find people who really understand the wonder and beauty of God. They don't really know the details about God, but they could see that God created it. And it's hard for you to ever find, for example, an ophthalmologist, someone who studies the eye, who is an atheist. Most doctors I know who are ophthalmologists have been believers because they see the wonder. And they, when they look at the eye, they know someone made that. But do they know how to be saved? No, they don't. And there are people who have never heard the gospel, but they have a sense of right and wrong. They, they think, I'm not supposed to murder someone. That, that's taking someone's life. They know that it's wrong, and they feel bad if they murder. If someone uh, breaks up with a marriage, they know they've hurt the other person if they've done that for a selfish reason. They know it's wrong, so there's some sense of it. But because these are only sparks, they don't produce the light to see the holiness of God. They don't see the sinfulness of man. And they don't see certainly the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for sinners. And those are the three things you must always be looking for. Do you see how holy God is? Do you see how sinful man is? And do you see the wonderful work on Calvary? That's for the Christian. Now we have Armenian friends who argue that the light of nature is sufficient to enable a sinner to come to full conversion. But this is palpably false. And why are they wrong? There are two reasons they're wrong. First of all, they're wrong because when God created man good, with, while God created man good with the ability to keep the law, 
and to image God or to reflect God when man sinned he was adversely affected and unable to fulfill the mandate of imaging God. He was no longer positively inclined to do good as he was before the fall. He wasn't interested in doing any truly good work. In Romans chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, if you haven't committed this to memory, I urge you to do so. It really will help to show that sinfulness of man. And the Apostle Paul wrote, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside to their uh, own way. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. By the way, this is an Old Testament quote. That's exactly the circumstances of those in the Old Testament as well. So there's no one who can look at the world and say, like some philosophers, I went out and I looked at the beautiful stars and then I started to believe in God and worship him. Well, you can't believe in, you might believe God exists, but you don't know about your sin by looking at the stars. You don't know about the work of the Savior. The star has got to point you to the Savior before you can get any benefit from it. And there's another reason they are false. They're wrong in their views that the light of nature is sufficient to enable a sinner to come to full conversion. And that's a text that we read. They're wrong because spiritual things require a clear spiritual mind which an unregenerated man does not have. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? The natural man, for them, that is foolishness. They're spiritually discerned and he doesn't have a good spirit to discern truth. So when he looks at it, he thinks, this is kind of beautiful. But in the midst of it, then he starts looking for UFOs. And he starts looking for all kinds of extraordinary things. He knows there's a God, but... He's limited in what he knows. Now, popular illustration of this is if you look at a car in a junkyard, you, you would think it's a car, but if it's got no engine in it, it's not going anywhere. And if you're ever in Scarborough and you have a trip to the standard auto wreckers, and who doesn't enjoy that from time to time, you would see dozens of smart cars that are really not so smart after all. Perfect bodies. They look good. All their batteries are dead. And they're useless. They look good, but it's not, they're not good. That's the problem with man. He needs his insides replaced. And that's the work that, of course, only God can do. So man can know God exists when he looks at creation. But the need for salvation and the method of salvation he cannot decipher... Follow Romans 1, uh, verse 20 and following. It says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that's God's attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that's us, even his eternal power and Godhead. We know there's a God. We know God is powerful. Look at the way all things hold together. The, the earth does not fly off into space and lose control. The beauty and order. You mix two things together. You get a, a chlorine molecule and two sodium. And you put them together on the right circumstances. You will always get two sodium chloride. Always. There's an order that God has put in place there. And we can see that power and wisdom and the Godhead. 
continuing so that they are without excuse. But although they knew God, they did not glorify him. They could not glorify him. They did not glorify him. They did not seek him out, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their hearts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So because man does see some of the attributes of God, his glory, wonder, and power, if man does not seek out that God, but suppresses that knowledge, he's going to be condemned for it. You can learn and admire that. You know, it's summertime, you go out and see the wonder and beauty of God's creation, and you praise him for it. And you say, my God made that sunset. That's good. But it can't save you. So don't say, I'm in commune with God in nature. There's no special revelation there. It's only general revelation. What about the law of God? Our second point. The law of God cannot call. Now obeying the law of God is inadequate to lead man back to God. And you say why? Well no one can obey the law of God. For the law must be obeyed. Remember for the law to be obeyed. It must come from faith in Christ. So if someone is not a believer. He can't obey God's law. By the world's standards and by human standards, they will say, yes, he obeyed the law. He didn't cheat on his wife. He didn't murder anyone. But according to God's law, the heart must be changed for a work to be considered good. And more, he's got to do that work. He has to obey the law for the glory of Christ. Some people obey the law because they want people to like them. So they get paid. So they're praised. You can only obey the law for the glory of Christ, for it to be counted before God. So man has to be saved in order to obey the law. He's not saved by obeying the law because he can't be. Again, our Armenian brothers believe that man could ultimately move back to God by keeping the law. Especially those who are in the Old Testament. Many of them believe that man was saved in fact in different ways. In different dispensations. And that's the one we call the dispensationalist. People believe that there are different times in history. Like in the Old Testament, they were saved by keeping the law of God. And in the New Testament, you're saved by grace. Those are lies from hell. Those are lies that rob God of the glory that belongs to him. And there are many famous people who hold to dispensational theology. But it's nothing more than a robbery of Almighty God. More, they believe that man is able to keep God's law because they don't believe man's will became evil. And you see why they come to that point. They think as a result of the fall, man became sick in sin, but he's still able to choose to make good choices. That's why people like Robert Schuller used to say, if it's got to be, it's up to me. Emphasizing human ability as if man had the ability in and of himself. Even if man had the ability, he wouldn't want to because he hates God. He's an enemy of God. So to say that people were saved in the Old Testament by, by, by keeping the law of God is a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a mockery of Jesus Christ himself. You'll see that in a minute. There's an implication to what they do, though. And that's why it's important to understand doctrine. When you say, well, they're Christians too. Yes, they are, but they have a lot of different understandings of the scriptures. And many of them rob Christ of the glory. 
I always remember my, my son, who was probably about eight, nine years old, and his music teacher asked him, well, what's the difference between uh, Armenians or Pentecostals and, and Reformed Christians? In the smart alecky way, he said, well, Reformed faith is more God-glorifying. And he was right. I wouldn't say that to them, risk offending them, but he was right. Because the more you know how the depth of your sin and the greatness of God's love for you, you will glorify him more. Now let me show you what happens when the Armenian doesn't see that, when he doesn't see us as dead in sin and hopeless. They insist more on obedience and training. So the argument will be, uh, how are you going to be a Christian? Well, you come to church with us, okay? You pray with us. You raise your hands like we do. You sing like we do. You talk like we do. And then you start to change. You got to sort of dress like we do. You know, if you're a lady, you got to dress a little bit more modestly. You can't wear those tight jeans to come to church. But if you just act nicely, you solve the problem and you become a Christian. What is that? It's evangelism by imitation. Because man has the ability, they believe, to obey God by himself. You see how you end up in a wrong place? You see how doctrines are tied together? You start with the wrong view of man, a wrong view of sin. You make all kinds of mistakes and errors. In the South, they used to say the standard of a Christian is I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't mix with them that do. And that was the standard. You are a good Christian. Because you didn't chew tobacco and you didn't drink. And that's how many people still view Christians. You drink alcohol, oh, they don't want anything to do with you because you drink alcohol. Because that's the standard in their minds. But those are imitations. Those are trying to keep laws. Now, it's not saying you should dress immodestly or, uh, or be drunk or all of that. that. The Bible forbids those things. But... That's not how you become a Christian. That is now how Christians are to look at the law. How should Christians look at the law? Romans chapter 7 verse 5 and 6. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. The fruit, the child, is death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter trapped by obedience it will never save you it will only bring forth death you know why because you could never keep the law in fact the law did not encourage man to go to God what did the law do it just condemned us because we couldn't keep it And it's intrinsic in man. It's, it's deep inside of man to, to oppose what God says. To oppose God's law. So when God says, you shall not steal, the sinner says, I want to steal. When God says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Man says, I want to go fishing. I want to have fun. I want to make it my day. Or as the Americans would say, Sunday was made for football. No. That's the natural tendency of man. That's why you need to be regenerate. That's why you need to be pulled from that condition. 
Look at what uh, is in the unconverted heart of man. The Apostle Paul saying again in Romans chapter 7 verse 7 and uh, following. Is the law sin? No, certainly not. He said, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. Verse 8. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. You know, if Adam had kept the law, we would have been conformed in eternal righteousness. But he failed. And so the law now brings forth death. That's the product. The law God gave to Adam and Eve was sufficient. But they lost all those rewards because of sin. Man was not able to keep the law anymore according to God's standards. Man could not rise out of the pathetic condition he was in and find his way back to God by obeying the law. Man had to be brought back in an irresistible way. So the light of nature, seeing God, man can't learn enough. He's condemned by it because he should seek more about the God that he learned about in the light of nature. He doesn't. And so he's unable to come to God. Keeping the law is important. But you can't keep the law unless you are saved. So you can't keep the law to be saved. Impossible. So what's the solution? Light doesn't work. The law doesn't work. The Lord works. The Lord who calls. So the only way back to God is when the Holy Spirit calls you and pulls you to receive Christ's work as your own. And notice the positive uh, position of man in this. He's just a recipient. And you can say rather he's passive. God must do the work. He simply receives what God does. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You know, no man has ever chosen to be born. He's passive in his birth. And the condition of man is being in the quicksand. And his head is going down. And he needs someone to pull him out. His efforts are vain. The more he fights, the more he sinks. And that's why the Lord Jesus said in John 3, 5, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. He needs to be reborn. So, how is this played out in time? The gospel comes through a preacher. This is the, we call this the call of the gospel. And Apostle Paul again in Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Not some, not most, but to everyone who believes. There's no other way to be saved than through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the hearer hears the gospel, God works in him by his Holy Spirit to produce that faith. And when he receives that faith... He uses that as the hand and mouth of his soul to receive Jesus' life of obedience and his sacrificial death at the end of his life. And when that happens, Galatians 2.16 take, takes place, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And we can include, and not by the light of nature. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now we've got that. Christ must pull you by his spirit or you 
sink and drown? What are the implications? Because of the necessity of the call of the gospel for man's salvation. Brothers and sisters, the noblest man, the most charitable woman, the most helpful boy to his parents, the girl who always speaks the truth, the boss who gives you a nice bonus at the end of the year, cannot enter heaven on account of their good actions. They can't come to God by themselves, and so they are lost. God must call them. Let me make it even more uh, personal. Every single one of your non-Christian friends, all the acquaintances you have, even those who are born in a Christian home, even those who are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they will go to hell unless they have true faith in Jesus and respond to his call, to his pull. In fact, every single person from every single religion, as sweet as that person may be or as generous as that person may be, will go to hell without being drawn to God. They will sink under their load of sin. Brothers and sisters, let this humble you. You don't deserve salvation. You didn't deserve Christ's work. You don't deserve faith. You don't deserve to be called to Christ. But you have salvation. Given to you for free. God pulled you to himself. More than being humble. Let this give you the desire to tell others of this salvation. The gospel is what the Holy Spirit will use. To pull others to the Savior. You know your charm is nice. You can be friendly. You can invite people to your house and have a, a barbecue. And you can do many good things. But none of that will save them. You have to come to the gospel. You have to bring them to church to hear the message of Christ. You have to give them that sermon, that Bible. It has to be more than being nice. Don't do the imitation thing that many of the charismatics do. Where they don't focus on the gospel and but imitate what we do. Act like a Christian and you'll become a Christian. No. They've got to see the holiness of God. They have to see the sinfulness of man and the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. You see, even in the Old Testament, how were they saved? I know many famous preachers like to still talk about dispensationalism. People being saved in a different way. Oh, what did Jesus say in, in Luke chapter 24? He says the law, the Psalms, the prophets spoke about work salvation. No. He said they, sp they spoke about me. What he would do. Abraham looked forward for the day of Jesus. John 8. What did he look forward for? The, the existence of Jesus or for the sacrifice of Jesus? That's what God told him when he was going to kill his son. Isaac. That's what God provided that substitute and what do you find in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and 12? Abraham was a good picture there. Moses as well. All of those were lists that the writer of Hebrews called the great cloud of witnesses. Of what? Of those who experience saving grace, having faith in Jesus Christ, that eternal sacrifice. Adam wasn't saved by keeping the law or Abraham or anyone else. 
In Hebrews 11.24, specifically about Moses, the Bible says, By faith, Moses, and that's faith in Jesus, Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches. The suffering of Christ was far greater. That's the thing that was more important. More important than all the treasures of Egypt and the power and influence that he had there. He looked forward for that reward. What reward? Not the wealth he had there. He could have become Pharaoh of Egypt. But he was looking to be a child in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what was more important. And it was only by the work of Christ. For faith then to receive what Jesus did they needed the gospel and for the gospel they needed to hear preaching and as they heard the gospel the Holy Spirit called them to himself this is the same thing that he does today that's what Isaiah wrote about he was wounded for our transgressions he didn't say he was wounded for those people who will come after Christ but then Moses said There's one prophet that will come greater than I am. To him will be the submission of the people. There was that confident hope. David talked about his Lord coming. A Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until my enemies become, your enemies become your footstool. Psalm 110. They all knew about Jesus. There's no other way to be saved. They all had the gospel. They didn't have the fullness of the gospel as we had, but they certainly had all the pictures of it, including the fact that they had uh, the promise given to Jacob when he uh, was blessing his sons before he died. That the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, a picture of Jesus and the destruction he would bring upon those who reject him, but the salvation he would bring to those who would receive him. Let's conclude. Neither nature nor the law can call you to Christ. Neither one can call you to the Savior and tell you how to be saved. In fact, the light of nature and the law of God only leave you guilty. Only the Holy Spirit can call you through the gospel to the Savior. That's how he pulls you with the message of Jesus Christ. So, beloved brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ... Leave here with three thoughts. One, seeing the futility of man to come to God and seeing man's lacking desire to come to God by himself. Do you love God more now that he has called you to himself by his Holy Spirit? You should. He would have been justified if he left you in your sins, but he didn't. Let you to sink in that miry clay, in that quicksand leave you to die and destruction but he didn't and he had to pull you because you wouldn't come second seeing the gracious gift of faith from God to hold on to the promise of Jesus will you then serve him with more zeal it's okay to love but love is not some theoretical thing it flows into passionate service are you passionate about coming to worship Do you come and say, oh, I hope it's not a long sermon today. I'm tired. But rather that you get yourself prepared 
to sing the songs, to see what the passage is. I'm always delighted when people make a comment about this, the passage they're going to hear in the sermon. That helps me. It means you're paying attention, you're interested. Every preacher likes to hear that. Do you set aside your pleasure and your comforts to teach your children the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you take time to pray for missions? Because this is how the gospel will spread. God uses means to pull people to himself. Have you prayed for the Ahmadiyyas who may be coming here next week? That when they're here, they are not just observers, but they will hear the message of Jesus Christ. Their conscience will be pricked and they will surrender to the Lord Jesus. Show you value God's effectual call because you can't do do without it. And show you value by promoting the means of that effectual call, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then third, seeing you have this message of life that can save the world from its constant attempt to please God. And by the way, the world only wants to please God. And many people do want to please God, but by their good works. They think if they give money to the poor and they remember the people in Africa and they uh, help the person who's house burned down or someone who lost a child and they will get and raise money and all of that for them. They think that's the, what they think salvation is. They think they'll go to heaven because of that. That's how deceived they are. And you know who has the answer? The truth? You do. You know they have to be pulled with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that alone. How faithfully are you telling others about Jesus? How faithfully you're telling them that there's a free thing for them, a gift that they will never have to pay for, for Christ obeyed and suffered in their nature and it's simply they receive this gift here in the gospel he will pull, God will pull them to himself because without it they will never come and finally if you're not a Christian, are you, are you feeling ashamed for your sins of the things you think, do and say do you see the failure in your life in trying to please God by your good works You still have a guilty conscience. You still get frustrated. If you are feeling that way, God is calling you to repent of your sins and ask him to be your father. Not try to offer him things to bribe him. Everything you are and have is because of him. Your life, your money, your job, it's because of his grace. Those things will not make you come to him. He must pull you. And you must be ready to say, I'm, I'm helpless. I need you. See, Christ did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He lived and died for you, and now his spirit calls you. Come home. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the teaching of your word. And what a wonderful teaching it is. Yes, Lord, we may have heard this many times before. But how can we ever get tired of hearing good news? How hopeless we were without you. But how graciously you brought us back to yourself. Pulling us from the misery into which we plunged ourselves. By your word and your spirit. Use us now as we work to call others to yourself. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.